This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24 7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome to the Rotowire Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Jake Letarski, joined today by John Litterine. If you're out there on Twitter, give John a follow, please, at John Litterine. That's J O N L I T T E R I N E. You can follow me at Jakeski52. It's been over a month, John, since we've been at it, but today we're going to be making our picks for the biggest fights at UFC 215 live from Edmonton on Saturday. But like I said, John, it's been a month. How have you been? Did you watch Mayweather McGregor? And what were your thoughts? Uh, yeah, I'm good. Uh, I did watch it, and I guess my thoughts were a lot like everybody else. I thought uh, McGregor did better than most thought. Uh, I think a large part of that that's not being talked about was the fact that for the first few rounds, Mayweather essentially let him take over in the sense that he just let him punch himself out and didn't throw virtually anything of his own. And uh, you can't really knock him. In the end, it you know the strategy worked, McGregor. Uh, got pretty tired and and you know couldn't sustain his pace for for the entire fight. But yeah. all in all, a guy who had never had a boxing match fighting one of the best pound for pound fighters ever in any division, I, I thought he did fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fighter's a fighter. It's funny. I mentioned in my preview. I don't know if you're a Simpsons fan, John, but uh, like I made a Homer Simpson analogy that maybe you know he stands there, punches himself out, and then and then he's opened up after that. And he so so that it's not exactly what happened. You of course get smaller fighters and whatnot, but uh, you know, but pretty close. I mean, Connor got tired. He's never fought more than 25 minutes before, and I absolutely give him credit for standing in there. It was a fun fight to watch, especially for those first couple rounds that got you thinking, hmm, maybe Connor can do something here. So I think anyone that paid for it doesn't really have a complaint. No, it was it was definitely the whole thing was better than 
virtually anybody thought it would be. Um, and Mayweather especially has a reputation of being in boring fights sometimes. As great as he is, it's not always that entertaining to watch. But uh, this was. Anybody who laid it out or anybody who uh, – you know, paid for cover at, you know, their bar or their restaurant, certainly got their money's worth. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, that's not the only news to have taken kind of the MMA world by storm. Right around that same time, we got some news that John Bones Jones has tested positive again for a banned substance. I turned the ball, or it's a lot more syllables in there, but uh, basically an oral steroid. And uh, now there's a whole lot of investigation to be done. And it's, but if, if it, this is true and it's a second offense, we're looking at maybe four years ban if he even comes back to the octagon at all. I mean, what were your thoughts when you first saw the news? Uh, you know, I want to say I'm surprised, but given his history, can can you really be surprised? Yeah. Um, no, I, I, I can't. I mean, at this point, it's just, it's happened so many times that yeah. it's, it's, you, you, you essentially you essentially can't trust the guy anymore. Um, any and like you said, if this turns out to be true and they tack on whatever suspension is forthcoming. They'll obviously look at his past and you know look, know that he has a history of all this kind of stuff. And you're right; he's going to be looking at probably upwards of you know three or four years. And mm-hmm. he's at the prime of his career now, but he's not going to be after three or four years of competing. And mm-hmm. it'll be about 34, 35, <laughs> and you know that's not completely out of the question. But it's still after that long of a layoff i can't i can't imagine someone staying that mentally strong and being ready to come back at that point no and i mean this is a guy who i think it's safe to say has as much physical talent as anyone who has really ever competed in the sport but he can't stay out of his own way and you know could this be a case where the ufc finally just says you know i can't do this anymore he served his suspension and he wants to keep fighting and find, you know, Bellator's around in four years or three years or whatever it is, and he wants to go there. But I'm sure um, Ryzen's got a place for him overseas. Yeah, but you know, if, if he just gets a long suspension when it's all over, if he decides he still wants to fight, uh, you know, somebody will find a place for him because he's a big name and big names draw money. But um, as far as him being involved in, you know, the title picture in you know the biggest organization in the world, if this is true, it's 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 over. Yeah, maybe uh, he'll fight Brock Lesnar after all, but at WrestleMania instead of in an octagon. You never know. <laughs> it looks like Rousey's taking that route. But I, uh, I, I've i described to my non-MMA friends, when I try to describe John Jones and what the situation is, I basically say, all right, take Lance Armstrong, one of the greatest you know athletes at his sport of the generation, take Lance Armstrong, you know, subtract all the charity work, because I don't count the court-ordered stuff as charity work, throw in a felony hit and run and a few cocaine benders and then you have john jones <laughs> it's essentially the analogy that i try yeah. to make it's, it's 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 a shame he's the guy has blown um what physical gifts god gave him he has two brothers in the nfl or he did and you know obviously that's that's a lot of that is god-given talent you know that can't be taught you can work you, you can't can work coach that length at that nope. weight nope you can't but you know, it, it, there are a lot of there are a lot of temptations, and uh, you know, I feel bad for Daniel Cormier who mm-hmm. ripped himself apart. Yeah, that's the next thing. The like, you got to feel for DC here. He lost the biggest fight of his career. You know, you, everybody saw how dejected he was about it, and then you know this happens, and you know his response was essentially, "Well, you know, I still lost the fight, which is true, but you know, you didn't really lose the fight because the guy you're fighting was ineligible to fight." 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, statistically, we might go back and I'd imagine once everything, if it does get confirmed as most suspect, you know, all that'll change to a no contest and DC will get his belt back and he'll fight some more average light heavyweights to close out his career. But, but there's, man, there's no, this is going to be a this whole entire mess is going to be a long term play. This this isn't going anywhere. Mm-hmm. This is going to be sorted out anytime soon. There are going to be, you know, there are going to be more tests. There are going to be appeals. You know, this is this story is not going away. Yep, so this is something that we'll follow for, yes, many months, years to come here. But for now, let's look ahead to Saturday where we've got UFC 215 uh, in Edmonton. Uh, it's a pretty solid card. we got two title fights on the line. So uh, those of you waiting since that Jones fight back on July 29th to get your UFC fix, here we are. John, we're going to start in the main event, kick it off right from the top. We've got Demetrius Johnson against Ray Borg. Now, the UFC has essentially ran out of opponents for Johnson, and Borg's kind of the closest guy as far as someone who he hasn't beaten yet. We ran through all that controversy with Mighty Mouse and TJ Dillashaw, him not wanting to make that fight happen. Uh, could maybe still see it down the road here, but in the meantime, he's going to defend his title in his natural weight class at 125, and he is a massive Vegas favorite. We used to talk about Rousey numbers, Cyborg numbers. Johnson checks in at minus 1,200. Ray Borg, a plus 700 dog. DraftKings Johnson is three thousand dollars more highest price guy on the slate at ninety six hundred. Borg sixty six hundred, so it's essentially punting a roster spot if you have to do that. And the odds to finish of this are about minus one forty. So expecting a finish, but no lock for a finish. Uh, John, can anybody beat Mighty Mouse in the one hundred twenty five pound division, regardless of if it's Borg or anyone else? Uh, yeah, somebody can, but I, you know, I'd be lying if I told you who who that guy is. Um, just like I didn't, you know. He's the best, Mighty Mouse is the best pound fighter in the world. The only guy really in the conversation with him was the guy we were just talking about, and that's John Jones, who has essentially now disqualified himself. Mm-hmm. At least an uh, asterisk there. Yeah, this this is the best fighter in the world. Uh, he does everything perfectly, from his grappling to his cardio to his striking. His technique is outstanding. Twelve wins in a row. The only flyweight champion in, in um, UFC division history. And, um, you know, the list of guys he's beaten, like you said, is everybody. He has cleaned out the division. And Ray Borg is a good young fighter, but he's a young fighter who has a history of missing weight a couple times in his UFC career. And that is a huge, huge risk. When you put a guy like that in a title fight. Yes, you mentioned that in your preview. Uh, So, you know, he's going after that Anderson Silva title defense record here. But, of course, if Ray Borg doesn't make weight, as he has missed weight in the past, it's not a title defense anymore. Oh, it's not. Uh, Borg will become ineligible to win the the belt if he misses weight. And I guess it's one of two things. The UFC is 100% confident he's going to make weight, which I find hard to believe given his past. Or... They just had no other answers, and I think it's more the latter. There's just nobody for this guy to fight anymore. Yeah. Um, you can only run back, uh, you know, rematches so many times before people say, uh, you know, I'm not doing this anymore. And we've talked about this in the past. This is why Demetrius Johnson, despite being the best pound fighter in the world, does not draw big numbers because he has no, he has nobody, he has no competition. Mm-hmm. It's very hard to market to an audience the even slight possibility that Johnson might get beat because he's so technically sound footwork. He is he beat uh, Wilson Hayes at his own game by submitting him. I mean, he's just rolled over everybody. He has, and you know, the other two factors are one: smaller guys don't draw like heavier guys. That's just a fact. Mm-hmm. And the second thing is 
although he's gotten better in that area, in this area, you know, Mighty Mouse is not the most proficient self-marketer. And by that, I mean he's not a big talker. Um, you know, he, he's not the ever-present presence on television and websites and all this stuff that some of the other champions are. And I, when I say that, I don't mean you have to be Conor McGregor, who's over the top. Mm-hmm. But, you know, do something to get yourself noticed and drum up some interest. And all he doesn't do that. And, you know, that doesn't mean he's not the best pound fighter in the world because he is. But it, it, it affects the casual fans' interest in him. And as we've said on here before also, if you're looking at odds of main events that are up in the Rousey range, you know, the minus 1,000, 1,100, 1,200, that means the fight probably shouldn't be made. You know, mm-hmm. that uh, when you get to numbers that look like that, it tells me that there was no better option as far as a challenge. You're going to tell me there's not one because even if it was whether it's a re, whether it was another fight with Henry Cejudo, whether it's another fight with Joseph Benavidez, whatever, neither of those guys would be minus a thousand. You know, mm-hmm. DJ would be minus 600, whatever you want to say, but they wouldn't be up in the minus 1000 range which tells me that the UFC just they decided they had nothing else and the other and they had to try and you know try and make a you know a card here on a pay-per-view and they thought Borg was their best option. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so the thing is here let's shift our discussion to fantasy a little bit because we're both picking Johnson. I'd be shocked if anyone didn't pick him in our staff picks article, but it's okay. So Johnson's 9600 on DraftKings. You're making 10 fantasy lineups for Saturday. Does any single one of them feature Borg, or are you just deciding, okay, maybe I'll fade Johnson in a couple of those, even if you need a salary relief punt play like you call it in football sometimes? I mean, is there is there any incentive to not use Johnson outside of his cost maybe? Well, the reason, I'll tell you right now, the reason I wouldn't use Borg is because he has no power in his hands. He has two knockouts in his entire career. Um, they came, one of them came early on, I believe is his third fight. So the odds of Borg getting a knockout win are, are, you know, are, and I think the way to beat Johnson, if you ever do beat him is to hit him with that one punch. I see zero chance that Borg is going to outpoint Johnson over any extended period of time. I'm looking at the numbers. Borg lands just 1.5 significant strikes per minute. And that's, you know, that's half of what Johnson can land. So let's say hypothetically, the fight goes into the third, fourth, fifth round. If Borg's cardio can hold up after what's going to be a very tough weight cut, even if it gets that far, you know, the significant striking numbers are not going to be significant enough to even get you 40 or 50 DraftKings points. So I'm just not quite seeing it. No, and part of Borg's low striking total are the fact that he's always grappling, you know. So mm-hmm. if that's your game, you're not going to have as high a striking total. But even Borg's takedown, he averages over three takedowns a fight. But mm-hmm. look at TJ, 3.4, you know, even higher. And Johnson is not what you would – Johnson is a complete mixed martial artist. And look, somebody's going to beat Johnson eventually somehow. You know, nobody thought Cody Garbrandt would ever beat Dominic Cruz. And I, I said Cruz, John Jones, and – DJ are the three guys I will pick until they lose. Mm-hmm. Um, Cruz lost. Jones hasn't lost, but he's kind of lost, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And um, jo- Johnson essentially is the one left standing. And somebody's going to shock him one day because you know nobody is invincible in this sport. But good luck trying to figure out who that is because the guy has no holes in his game. Yeah, I'm guessing the person that beats Johnson is not on the UFC roster yet, unless they unless they 
convinced Johnson by waving a lot of money at him to take a fight at 135 where he absolutely has no incentive and has been, of course, very resistant to the idea in the first place. Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the person who may eventually challenge him isn't even on the roster yet just because he's in his prime and he is dominant and I don't see him losing anytime soon. No, you know, it, it, somebody will come out of nowhere. Somebody always does, but, you know, nobody can uh, can, can actually predict who that's ever going to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's, that's a tough one. So we both agree. I mean, you may, if, you, if you made a lineup already for uh, for Saturday, are you, are you kind of featuring Johnson just because of, it's such a lock, or are you looking to some of the guys, some of the favorites that are cheaper salaries to go for something more balanced? I, you can do both. Uh, as we say on here, you know, it's important to make multiple lineups because – you stack everything, you know, with essentially the same guys and, you know, one or two guys have an off night and, and you're done. Mm-hmm. So it's important to make multiple lineups. But I certainly think even with his crazy salary that Johnson is more likely to return an investment than Bourne. Yeah, I think there's a, uh, a couple maybe upset or at least live dog candidates on here. So I know my early lineups are usually featuring Johnson just because his ownership is going to be high and I don't want to miss out on that. Um, so we'll kind of move on to that as we get through the show and, and, and talk about some more of these matchups here. But let's shift our focus to the co event. John, we got a women's bantamweight championship. This was supposed to go down at uh, UFC 213, the International Fight Week event. Amanda Nunes had some weight cutting issues, ended up having to withdraw from... Actually, I don't even think it was, it was weight cutting. I think it was an illness. And she had to withdraw draw or she was in the hospital so she took some heat from Dana White he kind of threw his champ under the bus but this fight is rebooked now and just like the first time through the salaries odds all of that are are quite identical in fact they have identical salaries on DraftKings both 8100 so there's possible room here to help fit one of those favorites in because the average you get per fighter is just over 8300 so if you do choose to get a piece of this fight where the odds to finish are minus 240 so a decent chance that it gets finished here so if you do choose to get a piece of this fight you can maybe work out some uh, some other favorites in your lineup here. But Shevchenko, once again, is a slight betting favorite, right around minus 125, Nunez, minus 105. I mean, it's really close to a pick John, you know, you picked Nunez in, in, the, uh, in the first time we did this. Are you going Nunez again? Yeah, I am, and uh, I don't think a whole lot's changed. I think, if anything, I have more confidence in Nunez now than I do then. And that's not a knock on Shevchenko, um... These two fought in March of last year, 2016. Close fight. Um, both women did damage, but a unanimous decision for Nunez, which was the right call. Um, and like you mentioned earlier, this fight was supposed to was supposed to take place a little while back. Um, and the whole situation is a little is still a little cloudy. Um, the gist of it is was reported that Nunez was ill, as you mentioned. She said she couldn't fight. Um, I believe doctors essentially could not, you know, they couldn't, I believe Dana White at least, UFC President Dana White thinks that Nunes was able to fight and she made this decision not to. Hmm. Um, White said after that, I believe he said that he would not book Nunes in a main event spot anymore. I believe he, I believe he said that. Um, as we know, Dana says a lot of stuff that change all the time. He, he was so never going to. Book John yeah, Jones in a main event either, and so that doesn't that, does, <laughs> that doesn't mean anything. Yeah, but um, Shevchenko is a Muay Thai specialist, but the difference is Nunes has more power. So there's not, like I said, there's not as the odds and the salaries indicate. There's not a whole lot separating both women. Um, I just think Nunes 
has a power advantage. But like the first white went the distance, I think this could go the distance too. Very little separation. Easily could go all 25 minutes. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if Shevchenko won. But I've seen enough from Nunez that I think she's the best 135-pounder in the women's 135-pounder in the world. And assuming this illness or whatever it was, you know, is nothing long-term and there, there's no indication that it, that it is, um, you know, I think she wins, but again, very close. Mm-hmm. I think if this fight goes to the championship rounds here, rounds four and five, uh, that it means a lot. It'll be better for Shevchenko because she has more, I guess, it, I don't want to say more experience in that, I'm just, but Nunes hasn't quite been there and there has been issues raised about her cardio in the past because she gets those quick finishes. However, when they're both 8,100, I think if it, there's going to be a knockout in this fight, Nunes has a much better chance to get it. That's why I make her a, uh, a she would, she's in my draft. DraftKings lineup. She's one of the the fighters I'm using to fit Mighty Mouse in, and and I think she's going to win. Uh, she she's a bigger, longer fighter, and and much more power here. Uh, better shot of getting you those bonuses rather than waiting waiting it out for five rounds. Either way, these main event and co-main event being five round fights, I think it's very very advisable to use. Uh, someone from both of those fights if possible because you get the extra couple of rounds to rack up points even if there is a finish and especially this women's bantamweight championship if you think Shevchenko is going to win put her in your lineup I think you and me are in agreement that Nunes will and she'll be in our lineups but uh, this is a fight to get a piece of either way yeah it's you know there there's very little difference um Shevchenko I would certainly say is the more um technical striker the two as far as placement combinations and that kind of stuff and you know i think nunez hits harder so if you think shevchenko um can outpoint nunez because of her technique and her muay thai background you know then then she's a good pick there's not a whole lot of difference um between the two and um i would agree that a longer fight probably favors shevchenko later but i will say that it looks like nunez's cardio has gotten better um she's kind of you know she's starting even though you know, her last two fights, um, neither of them got out of the first round, but um, she appears to be, at least to me, in better shape as far as being able to fight for, for a long period of time. So, you know, we'll see. 25-minute fights, we talk about it all the time, but they don't happen often. You know, it's even you know even if you're scheduled for 25, it doesn't always go that far. So we'll have to see. But, again, a close fight um, that I expect to be close throughout. I, I would be very surprised if if either woman pulled away from the other. Yeah, absolutely. So this will be a good one to watch. Hopefully everything goes through this time and, and we'll be able to see these two women fight. Uh, one of the best, I think, women's bantamweight championship fights that can that can currently be put on by the UFC and also one worth working into your DraftKings lineups here. But, John, we've got a former champion in the uh, event leading up to this title fight here. Uh, this is a welterweight matchup that I want to switch to here. It's uh, Neil Magny against Rafael Dos Anjos. Uh, Dos Anjos spent uh, most of his career in the lightweight division, now moving up to welterweight, uh, and he is he's a pretty big favorite in this fight. He's $1,000 more on DraftKings, checks in at 8600 and Neil Magny is 7600 Dos Anjos minus 190 uh, on the, in the sports books. Magny about plus 165. The odds of the finish are plus 165, so Vegas actually likes this one going the full three rounds here. Um, who do you got in this fight, and what type of fight do you think it's going to be? This is interesting because, I, as I said in our preview article, I am 100% convinced that Rafael Dos Anjos is a better MMA fighter than Neil Magny. But Magny has a massive size advantage. 
It's he's crazy. Six, six inches taller, a 10-inch reach advantage, which is, in, in this sport, is monumental. It, it's one of the things John Jones does best. He stands away from his opponents and batters his opponents, and he can hit you when you can't hit him. Mm-hmm. And it's a big, big advantage. And um, if Dojanjos is able to get inside against Magni, I think he wins easily. Um, he's a better grappler. Um, hmm. I think he has. He, I think, relative to his size, he certainly has more power. But Magni has shown over the years, over and over and over again, that he can not only be competitive, but he can win fights that really, honestly, he has no business being in. Um, I've picked against Magni countless times since you know we started covering MMA here on Rotowire, and um, he usually wins. Uh, you know, defeated Johnny Kel- Hendricks. The Kelvin Gastelum one is the one that uh, surprises me the most because I think he's one of the better fighters in that division. Oh, yeah. He he has serious wins. Johnny Hendricks, who's not what he was, but still, obviously. Hector Lombard, Gastelum, you know, Tim Means. He has, he has legit wins under his resume. And um, a six-foot-three guy fighting at welterweight is is rare. That, you know, that's a big guy for the division. So, Dos Anjos is going to be giving away a whole bunch of size, but I, I think you agree with me. Dos Anjos is the better fighter. Now, that doesn't, as we know in this sport, that doesn't always mean that you win, but he has more ways to win. You know, he's a really, really high-level Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. And if he's able to negate the size advantage of Magni, you know, I don't think this is close. But... Magni, Magni is a smart fighter who you sit and talk about some guys who refuse to tailor his get their game plan to their opponents. You know, Magni is one of those guys who will. He will do what's necessary to win. Um, I'm sure him and his entire team at um, Elevation MMA in Colorado will have a game plan for him to use his size and his length to his advantage. And if he does that, you know, he has a chance. And this is a clo- given the talent level of the two guys. This is closer than it probably should be. Um, I'm going to take Dos Anjos because, you know, I always believe in betting on talent, but Magni is a liver underdog than he probably should be. Yeah, hey, I absolutely. I, I agree that it's a close fight. And, and Dos Anjos, yeah, he's probably the better fighter here. But this is one where we're finally going to have some parity, and, and I'm going to go ahead and take Neil Magni in this one. I'm gonna, and this is this was one of the hardest ones that I personally had to pick. Uh, but he's one of the guys I, I like for an upset just because of the size difference. Uh, I mean, Dos Anjos, a lot more experience, some more quality opponents on that resume, but not much experience at welterweight so far. And I think the size di- difference is going to be very tough to overcome. Now, Neil Magny, striking-wise, offensive and defensive striking, has Dos Santos beaten in every statistical category. It's the exact opposite uh, in the grappling department, but I think Magny will find a way to use that length to his advantage, and I think he's going to surprise some people on Saturday night. We've got someone who's kind of coming up, ready to take on some of the best welterweights, whereas Rafael Dos Santos needs some wins, or you know he's going to be kind of fading into obscurity. He's got to go up at this heavier weight class now. Um, you know, maybe that's too harsh, or you know, fading into obscurity. But 
But I, I just think that this is a, a good chance where a lot of people are going to be down on Magny, and it's a good chance to get someone for $7,600 in your DraftKings lineup that has a pretty good chance to win. He helps you lock in someone like Mighty Mouse. And, and I found, uh, you know, when I was playing around, not only can you get Mighty Mouse in your lineup, but I found a few fighters, some more that we'll talk about later on, where you could probably work in one more person over 9000 another big favorite here. So, yeah, and Magny's part of the way I'm, I'm going to do that. And, you know, the odds of the finish here are late. So at the worst case scenario, we get hopefully a decent amount of significant strikes from Magni over that three rounds and, and we get some points. So it's not a complete loss, but I, I I'm, I'm going to take Magni in this one. And who, you know, it's one that I'm on the fence about that. I'm probably the least confident out of all these picks that we're going to make. But in the end, I had to settle for the much, much bigger guy. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's close. You know, it's, you can certainly, I can certainly see how Magni's size gives him an advantage that if you go just based on background and ability, you know, probably isn't there, but you know, he has shown that he can win fights and be competitive in fights that he probably shouldn't be there and shouldn't be competitive. in. so he has a history of getting the job done, um, you know, with his back against the walls and underdogs. So, you know, it certainly would not be a surprise to see him do it again. Yep, I don't think either of us would be shocked here. But, John, let's move on to the light heavyweight division, a division that's kind of a little bit in shambles now, uh, of course, without John Jones for the foreseeable future. Uh, but anyway, this is, uh, you know, kind of down towards the end of the rankings here. We've got a matchup between Alir Latifi and Tyson Pedro. Pedro's relatively new to the UFC, and he enters as the betting underdog as well as the lower salary fighter on DraftKings. Latifi's 8,500. Pedro's 77. Hundred um, Latifi minus one fifty Pedro one, plus one ten. One thing that jumps out here: odds to finish. They've been moving around a little bit, but they're pretty much min- over minus four hundred wherever I look. So this seems like a pretty decent fight to include in your DraftKings lineup here. How do you see this one playing out? This is hard to to break down, and that's due to the inexperience of Tyson Pedro. Um, he has six career fights, two in the UFC. He's never been out of the first round in his entire career. And in his two UFC fights, he has a submission win via rear naked choke and a a TKO win. Um, The question is really, do you have confidence in what little we've seen of Pedro that, you know, it's legit? Um, The wins were not against terrific competition. Um, He's fighting a guy in Latifi who is very strong for the division, um, short, stocky. Uh, but as we were talking about earlier in the Madden Sanjos fight, lengthwise, uh, Pedro has, yep, Pedro has a size advantage. He's five yeah. inches taller. He has a six inch reach advantage. So again, Latifi is far better than Khalil Roundtree or Paul Craig, which, which is who Pedro has fought. So, um, I took, and this was a tough decision for me because you're going off, what is virtually no real evidence of Pedro or, you know, no real experience, six pro fights. And, um, you know, he's already here on the spot of the main card of a pay-per-view. I took Pedro because I think when you take into account the fact that he's 7,700 as opposed to 8,500 for Latifi, that he's a better value play. But, uh, you know, this is all about whether the dominance we've seen from Pedro um, in his brief UFC career is legitimate or not. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think of this this way. If you're playing in a cash game, your 50-50s, your head-to-heads, maybe you don't want to use Pedro because there is so much uncertainty. But if you're playing in one of those big GPPs or, or anything with a lot of entries that you have to be a little bit unique and, and, and pick a string of, of potential finishes... I think you have to take Pedro in that situation because it saves you $800. You know, Latifi has the smaller guy. We don't really... It's going to be tough to negate that length advantage. And, and Pedro, I mean, the, you said two UFC fights. He has six professional fights. Uh, all of them have been first-round wins. You know, three of them rear-naked chokes. Four of the six are by submission. So you would think that Latifi... His advantage in something like this would be to pull someone like Pedro in closer, wrestle, grapple. But from the short sample size, Pedro's grappling has seemed to hold up just fine. Like we said, he hasn't been taken down yet. This will be the best opponent he's faced here. But I think it's 7,700 and a guy that's only plus 110 as far as the betting odds. So you know you can kind of track where the money's going in that a little bit. Uh, I, I think you're right in this one, John, in a sense where if you're playing fantasy, um, you got to go Pedro. And I think uh, you and I are both going to go uh, this this upset route. Yeah, I mean, and Latifi is very strong. He's short um, for the division, but, you know, he's powerful. And he can certainly win. But, um, you know, you're looking for a real dominant opponent. You know, he's not that guy. He, you know, he's an above-average light heavyweight. But he, you know he's not a top tier guy, and I think that's I think this sets up well for a potential upset. Yeah, absolutely. So there's one more fight we got to talk about on the main card here, John. It's a featherweight matchup. Uh, it seems to have a little fight of the night potential here, and that's uh, Jeremy Stevens against Gilbert Melendez. Melendez, uh, you may recognize him from UFC Tonight broadcasts on Fox Sports One. Uh, he's a very he's a veteran of the sport. Been in one of the greatest UFC fights of all time in his all-out war with Diego Sanchez. Crazy fight. If you had fight pass, go back and watch that just to get you jacked up for the start of this card. Uh, but DraftKings has these guys stacked up very evenly. Jeremy Stevens, 8,200. Gilbert Melendez, 8,000. Vegas has it just about like a pick'em. Stevens about minus 120. Melendez, minus 105. Both these guys can take a beating, so the odds to finish here are plus 160. Uh, despite a little bit of rust here, do you think Melendez can return to his old form? I, I don't know if he's going to return to his old form in the sense that you know he's going to be in the title picture, a former Strike Force lightweight champion, WEC champion. You know, I don't know if he's ever going to get to that level again. But you know, he hasn't won a fight. He's won one fight, I should say, the Diego fight uh, under the UFC banner, which, which is difficult to believe. Since the Strike Force, uh, you know, WEC UFC all joined together, uh, D- uh, Gilbert Melendez is one in four. Uh, which which is hard to believe, and all the all the losses obviously there are two split decisions in there. Um, you know they've all been against quality opponents, but Gilbert uh, tested positive for PEDs. He sat out a year, and he, he struggled to get on track in his last fight last July against Edson Barboza. So he you know he's looking at you know the better part of uh, fifteen months off. So. And Jeremy Stevens is, if you want a guy who's going to give you a wake-up call when you get as soon as you get in the octagon, that's the guy. Um, I would say Stevens hits harder, um, but this is two guys who make their money by going out there and banging. Uh, you know, aggressive guys who are always moving forward. And um, you know, I think the winner here is the guy whose chin holds up, but. 
I think Gilbert, I think there's more to Gilbert than we've seen of late. And, you know, he's 35 years old, so I don't expect him to get back to the top of the division like he was at one point. But I think he has more to offer than we've seen uh, in his brief UFC career. But, um, you know, Stevens is another guy who, one in three in his last four fights, needs a win. Two guys who badly need a win with little separation. And, you know, I think the winner of this is going to be the guy who survives as opposed to the guy, you know, who thrives. Yeah, I, I understand where you're coming from, absolutely. I'm having a very tough time picking a 35-year-old that's 1-4 in his last five fights. Now, granted, those were excellent competition for Gilbert Melendez, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the younger, fresher guy that, like you said, hits a little bit harder. Melendez, you mentioned the, the one-year suspension in the past. Again, he's had another long layoff. He hasn't fought for 13 months. His last fight was July 23rd. He hasn't won a fight since October 2013. I mentioned that Sanchez fight earlier, so it's been a while since he's won. I'm a little bit concerned about ring rust. I'm a little bit concerned about overall confidence. Uh, you know he can't use any any type of PED or anything close to it with the new USADA rules. I just don't see him winning this fight, and I'm a little bit surprised that the odds are as close as they are. So this is one where we can agree to disagree, and it'd be a good... If we were playing head-to-head this week, John, it would probably be the deciding factor in our DraftKings lineups here. Yeah, I mean, I'm not... I took Melendez. I'm not confident about it. Mm-hmm. There is, again, and there are a couple of cards, a couple of fights on the main card like this, very little separation. Mm-hmm. and Very tough card to pick. Yep, and those, you know, those are the kind of fights you want because they allow you to make multiple lineups, and that's what you're looking for, uh, you know, as an owner, you know, making cases that either guy can win. But, you know, like you said, Melendez is older. Uh, both guys are struggling. Melendez hasn't fought. You know, th- there's there's red flags both ways. So, mm-hmm. uh if you're a believer that Stevens Tower and I, I think he hits harder, um, you know, can come through, then he's a good play. And Gilbert is the guy who gets hit. So, you know, I'd be willing to listen on Stevens. There's not much separation. Mm-hmm. All right. So you're taking one of these guys in your lineups. Maybe you're you're probably getting that co-main event. Uh, you still are probably going to need a little bit of salary relief somewhere in your DraftKings lineup, especially if you are working in mighty mouse now we both have a couple of plays if you don't mind john i want to start with one that i found a little bit uh confusing and i want to see if maybe you can help me explain this but there's a fight lower on the card alex white against mitch clark alex white 7400 he's 1400 less than clark yet vegas has him anywhere from a minus 180 to minus 190 betting favorite here and that's very rare almost always the vegas odds coincide with the DraftKings salary i saw in your column that you picked clark is this is this one too close to call for you or is this kind of um I don't know. Is this one of those things where maybe DraftKings doesn't have the salaries quite right, or is Mitch Clark better than Vegas is giving him credit for? I'm, I'm having a tough time seeing this one because because White's a taller, younger fighter with better striking stats in terms of volume, accuracy, and defense. Neither do a ton of grappling. Clark's big advantage of is uh, it's in Canada, I guess, if you can count that as hometown. But I'm, I'm having a tough time for the reasons in salary here. Yeah, I mean it's. That was part of the reason I picked him. You know, in close fights where there's seemingly little separation, you know, you start looking at little things. And I, you know, I would never make a pick straightly based off this. But when you get into a fight and you're running the numbers where 
you know, there's not much situation. Little things like, you know, a, a hometown advantage are something to look at. But I was really impressed, and it, it's going back a while now, but um, I was really impressed with Clark's submission win over Ally Quinta. Um, you know, it's over three years ago now, but he proved to me in that fight that he could win a fight, not only win a fight, but win a fight in a way not many people expected against a really tough fighter. Now, the issue for Clark recently has been inactivity. Um, you know, he, he's fought once in 2015, once in 2016. He's going to fight once in 2017. So he, he fights once a year and a little over a year at a time, 14, 15 months in between. But his last two fights, Michael Chiesa, Joe Duffy, two really talented opponents, and he didn't look good in either of them. But I think there's more here. But again, uh, black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, spending time with Jackson Wink, you know, but again, this is when you're looking for stuff like this, there's really not a whole lot of separation. Um, on the undercard, it's hard when it's, you get guys with limited experience. It's tough to take underdogs for me more so than the main card, simply because you don't have a lot of evidence to go off of, uh, you know, a background, so to say. But again, white is definitely one live underdog. The other underdog that I like, that I think, even though I don't think he's going to win, that's a really good salary, is the guy we talked about earlier, and that's Wilson Hayes. $7,100, um, you know, for a guy who was obviously, you know, obliterated by Mighty Mouse recently, but everybody's obliterated by Mighty Mouse. Yeah, both but, him and his opponent, Henry Cejudo, both have been stopped yep. by Mighty Mouse, so yeah. it's and interesting Cejudo, to see. Cejudo's really good, obviously. One of the, you know, mm -hmm. probably the second or third best lightweight, uh, excuse me, flyweight in the world, but... Wilson Hayes is also a really, really good fighter, strong, powerful, and he's an understandable underdog, and he deserves to be an underdog, but, uh, you know, you're looking for a risk-reward thing at this point, and for somebody with Hayes' talent level, $7,100 is a really low salary. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with you in, in that sense because okay, Cejudo's ninety one hundred. If you if you have that much money to spend, I know there's a whole lot of unknown here, but uh, this guy Adriano Martins is nine thousand. I almost like him better than Cejudo because he's almost a minus four hundred favorite. That's huge. He did lose his last fight, but in the three or two of the three fights before that, he scored over a hundred DraftKings points. So I, maybe I'm going if I have that much money left, and chances are you might not if you if you pick Mighty Mouse, but but, uh, you know, kind of going away because I think that, uh, you know, Cejudo has a better chance of losing uh, than this uh, than this other guy here, Martins. So it, just something to think about. You have to do this multiple different ways when you're when you're making your DraftKings lineups. But one thing I always have up is, is all the odds and all the movement right next to my DraftKings lineup and try to look for those things that stand out. Yeah, I mean, there, you know, there's there's no set right way to do this. You know, you kind of just have to. Weigh, weigh the risk and reward, and like you said, try different things. You know, there is nothing. You know, upsets happen in this sport all the time. Every single card has a handful of upsets, so you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket because you know the odds of straight favorites running the board are you know are are slim to none. All right, real quick, John. I mentioned mine already because it's that first one of that uh, of of the pay per view card, the Stevens Melendez. I think that has fight of the night potential written all over it. The way that those two guys brawl and the chins that they've shown throughout their career. What's the fight? Either just call it the best fight or just the fight you're most excited for. I want to see the Magni Dos Anjos fight because I don't know how 
the difference in styles is going to play out. I don't know. I'm, I'm interested to see how much Manny's length impacts the fight. You see some fights where there's a tall, long fighter like that, and he totally controls the pace of the fight because of his length. And then you have other matchups like that where the shorter guy easily gets inside against him, and it's no issue at all. So it's you know that's one I want to see. And even though it doesn't feature the you know the big names that some of the other fights does, I'm interested to see Tyson Pedro because he's looked brilliant in his brief UFC career. And you know a, a fight against Latifi will you know give us an idea of if he's a real legitimate threat or not moving forward in the light heavyweight division. Yeah, absolutely. So that'll be something that we'll finally get some clarity and and we'll have better. A little bit better analysis for you, I guess, next time he's out there. But uh, we both agree that he's a live dog, and, and you need some of those to get Mighty Mouse in your lineup here. Well, that's going to wrap things up for today's edition of the Roto-Wire Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. Once again, John, thanks for joining me. You can follow John on Twitter at John Litterine. You can follow me at Jakeski52. John, interim titles are back again because UFC 216 is Ferguson versus Lee on October 7th here. So we've got that to look forward to at least. We do. UFC's favorite thing these days, interim titles. Mm -hmm. Someone's got to fight McGregor eventually at some point. But, hey, thanks again for listening, folks, and uh, good luck with your DraftKings lineups this weekend. All right, thanks.